I know the big schools and the shiny <laughs> bright lights can be so you know, enticing and you want to go to the school with a big name, but I think it's really important to understand who you are and what you need. Because yes, it can be very easy um, and sounds great to go to Stanford, but is Stanford the right fit for you? Because a lot of people try to go to these schools and then they're upset with, okay, I'm not playing, there's a lack of playing time, I don't like the school, I don't like this. Really understand what you need, what you're looking for, and find a school that fits that, even if it's a smaller name, even if you've never heard of it. Do your research, just don't go somewhere because everyone says it's great. It has to be great for you. It has to be a good fit for you. Another season in the books. The podcast featuring professional athletes who have taken their careers overseas. We'll hear about their seasons, come and gone, the process, their struggles, and what it's been like living and playing overseas. We'll also talk academics and the differences between the European and the American systems. I'm your host, Leslie Knight, 12-year veteran in Europe's professional basketball leagues. Let's get to it. Welcome back to another episode here on Another Season in the Books. This week, I got a chance to travel down memory lane and connect with a friend from the past. She's nine years younger than I am, and I can remember watching over her, her sister, and her younger brother at basketball camps during the summer. All three siblings were quite small in stature at the time, but things have definitely changed since the late 1990s. Nia Coffey has grown into a tall, strong, talented, and smart professional basketball player. Graduating early from Northwestern University, Nia was drafted fifth in the 2017 WNBA draft to the San Antonio Silver Stars, and since then has played for the Las Vegas Aces, Atlanta Dream, and the Phoenix Mercury. Along with her WNBA career, Nia has experienced professional basketball overseas. Hard work and perseverance have provided her with jobs in places like Israel, Australia, Poland, and Turkey. I hadn't spoken face-to-face -face with Nia in more than a decade, and it was so nice to reconnect. The woman sitting on the other side of the screen was calm, genuine, wise, mature, in short, an absolute pleasure to converse with. Nia Kafi, hello, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm doing great. Um, I'm trying to think when the last time was that I even saw you in person and I can't even remember. Yeah, I don't remember. It was a while ago. <laughs> like, I don't even know if it went back to high school, like 2000, early 2000s. Honestly, I don't even remember. <laughs> but thank you for joining me on the podcast and um, just getting right into it. Do you have a first sports memory from when you were little, like the very first thing you can remember about sports? Yes. I, my dad played professional basketball and I have an older sister and a younger brother. And he knew that we were very athletic when we were children. So he was like, choose a sport and let's go with it. And I remember I chose track and my brother and sister chose basketball. And I felt my first memory was, I felt so disconnected from them because they were playing basketball and I was the only one playing track. So I changed my mind. I was like, you know, what? I'm going to do basketball. <laughs> and I remember the first time going to the gym with them. I was actually to the JCC, the Jewish community center back in Minneapolis. And that's kind of where it all started for me. Really? Yeah. Um, interesting that you guys went to the JCC. 
I, I don't have an, an explanation for that. I think they just had a league for girls my age and that's kind of just how it went, but yeah. And everybody was welcome and you just, yeah, everyone was welcome. Yeah. Okay. So obviously you grew up in a sports minded family. I mean, mm-hmm. I know that your dad played in the NBA. Um, your mom, did she play any sports? She ran track and she played basketball, I think, um, in high school for like a couple of years. Okay. When do you think you started? Like, how old were you? I started playing basketball in the fourth grade. What so elementary school did you go to? I went to Meadowbrook. Meadowbrook. Okay. So I wonder, was Coach Burmeister there teaching? When yes, you were there? he was. Yep. Okay. He shout was. out to Coach B. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then when would you say you started taking it more seriously? I feel a little bit embarrassed to say this, but not until like my sophomore year in college. I know that sounds pretty bad. Well, I mean, as far as like thinking about the WNBA goes or because obviously you had to take it seriously to get a college scholarship and whatnot. Right. So this was, this was my parents thinking they, my dad understood how powerful basketball is and where it can take you. And he, they all, my parents understood that they had three kids within two years. So they didn't want to pay for college pretty much. (laughs) So my parents were adamant, like, we are going to do this so you could get a scholarship. That was the mindset. So, um, you know, obviously, and we're naturally really competitive and like, we want to do good at what we do and we want to work hard at what we do. So of course, like, yes, I took it seriously, but I didn't really um, think about going beyond college because my, my goal was to get a scholarship and I did that. So I was fine. But it wasn't until my sophomore year where I was like, you know, I have more, I can be better. And I kind of want to explore that. So that's when I really started to Mm -hmm. commit to like, okay, basketball is going to soon become a lifestyle. What do I need to do in order to have a transition after college? Mm -hmm. But this Mm -hmm. is an interesting topic because um, I think this happens in the United States where parents put a lot of pressure on their kids to get that scholarship. Yes. I remember watching you and your sister and your little brother at the Lindbergh Center uh, with your dad doing like lunges up and down the court. <laughs> and I'm trying to think, I don't even know how old you were at the time, but you guys were younger because I was born in 1986 and you were born in 1995. Yes. So that's a nine year gap. <laughs> and I just wonder like, how was that? Um, obviously you came out and you did great, um, but I'm sure there are some children who maybe feel a little burnout um, or just the pressure is too much. And in the United States with how expensive college is, um, it is a lot of pressure. Like a lot of these kids, they're trying to get that scholarship, but how did you, you must've just taken it in by stride and. No, I mean, I (laughs) speaking, well, especially with my sister, we, she didn't, she didn't enjoy basketball at all because she did feel all those pressures. It wasn't something naturally she wanted to do. Amir, he loved basketball, but I'm going to be honest, he was pretty lazy as a child, but he's since changed that. And so my dad, he often had to drag us to the gym. And I, like a couple years ago, I apologized to him because I'm like, look, you had your best intentions of what you needed to do to get us to a certain place. But being so young, you don't understand that. But I feel like it's really tough because especially in America, people see these stories and they see other families doing it. So they were like, if we do A, B, and C, we're going to get this result, but that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. So I feel like a big problem in America is like people are just trying to copy everyone, but I think it's so important of understanding 
you know, what, what is, what is the purpose of your life? What is the purpose of your family? And what is the purpose of your children and helping them to get there instead of trying to follow a blueprint and a plan that they just decided they wanted to do. Cause, and I don't mean, I don't want to sound negative when I say this, but it's true. A lot of people don't have what it takes to make it to the next level. And they're trying to push and push and push. But if their ceiling is at a certain point, I feel like it's just, it just puts a lot of pressure and anxiety and it can lead to other things and to children. So understanding their ability, how far they can go, and then doing the necessary steps in a healthy manner that's well-rounded, that won't lead to burnout. It won't lead to like fatigue mentally and physically, because then that leads to injury and, you know, other sorts of problems. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And you were literally probably just focusing on basketball from a pretty young age too. You weren't doing a bunch of other sports. You did track in the beginning, but. Yeah. Um, I mean, when we were younger, we played a lot of other sports, but you know, that was just, that was just for fun. But I think my dad understood, you know, what it took to yeah. make it to the next level. So he was like, we're choosing the sport. And when my sister and I got to high school, we wanted to play volleyball. Like we were so excited and we got so much pushback from that, um, from our dad, because we were missing um, fall ball, I think, for Hopkins. Gym. Yeah, open gym, like breakfast clubs. It was just too much because you either had to, you had to choose one because volleyball had, they had their breakfast club. They had their stuff going on with them. So, I mean, it was, those, those years were really tough, but looking back on it, like I understand, but it's like hindsight 2020, like you don't really understand when you're a child. Yeah. Yeah, I had no idea that you guys played volleyball. Yes, my sister played two years. I don't know what grades. Um, I played one year. I was a freshman. I played on the sophomore team. I was terrible. <laughs> I was terrible. Literally, all I was there for was to block. I That was like my awkward growing stage. I couldn't run a cunt jump. It was terrible. <laughs> but after that, I was like, you know what? I know what I need to do. Let's just do basketball. Uh, that's yeah. fun, though, because every person I've ever talked to that has played volleyball, they always say that they loved it. And I never got into it because I played soccer in the fall. But I always kind of wish like, oh, it it looks fun. I wish I would have. It looks so much fun. Yeah. 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 Well, and you say that your dad knows, you know, what it, what it takes. And um, he actually coached my brother, Corey. Um, Your dad was my brother's like traveling coach one year or something like that. Or I don't know if it was like freshman. Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to ask him if it was his freshman year or eighth grade year. But he was so excited that Coach Coffee was his coach. And um, I remember him coming home and talking about it and how they were working so hard. You know, they were running lines um, and how your dad was just very intense and he demanded a lot. And he's a big guy. I mean, he's what, yeah. like six six at least. Yeah. Yep. And these little big kids. Guys. I mean, I'm sure my brother was tall, but he was like a string bean. And <laughs> um, and just knowing that their coach played in the NBA and could tell them stories about like Michael Jordan and stuff. They, I mean, your dad had them had these boys eating out of the palm of his hand, and they were going to do anything that he said. Um, but he he really enjoyed playing for your dad. So that's just a side note. But um. Okay, so then high school comes, you start dedicating your time to basketball, you stop playing volleyball. Um, what was the recruiting process like for you? Because I know a lot of kids go through the recruiting process, it's overwhelming. Um, they're not really that involved with it because they just don't even know what to do. Yep. Was your process stressful? Did you enjoy it? Um, what was that like? It was very stressful. And I will first say I am so happy 
that I went to college when I did because the recruiting process now is times a million. I would, I would have hated it even more, but, um, I'm, I'm just very kind of to myself and like, I don't really like to be bombarded with a lot of things. So the recruiting process was a lot, like just people pulling at you from all different areas, just telling you what you want to hear. Like, I just, I, I'm just not a fan. So I told my parents, I would love for you guys to handle this for me. You guys kind of know the criteria that I'm looking for, what's good for me. The schools that you think that are a good fit, let me know. And then I will take it from there. But other than that, it was just too overwhelming and I just didn't know what to do. So I let my parents take the lead on it a lot. Did you take many in, uh, unofficial visits at all? Um, I took a couple, of course, Minnesota. Uh, I went to Boston College. Unofficial. Sorry, unofficial. Yeah, unofficial. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think. There's a couple other ones. I went to Harvard. I went to Northwestern. I went to, um, honestly, I think that might be it. I didn't take very many. Well, you guys were traveling quite a ways for unofficial visits. Well, we kind of, we, so we would travel for AAU games and we kind of just threw them in there. So it was kind of, yeah. So that's kind of how that happened, which was smart because I mean, AU is already expensive. You're already going there. So you might as well just make a little pit stop. So that's right. kind of what, yeah. So then I don't even know, did you sign early or did you end up going on some official visits as well? I took only one official visit Okay. and that was Northwestern and I was already signed before. Okay. Yep. So I, I was like, you know what? I think I found this is my school. I'm ready. I just signed early and I was like, okay, call it a day. <laughs> okay. So what were your uh, requirements or why did Northwestern kind of capture your attention? Cause I'm sure you had a lot of offers. My parents, this was just their rule. This was them. They said, we want you to go to a private school. So I was like, okay, I don't really care, whatever. Okay. Um, so that was the first one. So, and then mine was, you know, I'm not like a big, <laughs> I'm just not really out there like that. So I was like, I want to go to a smaller school, but not too small. I want to be um, kind of not like directly in the city, but close to a city, like stuff like that. So I had the opportunity and resources to go different places, but not being smack dab, like in a running city, like that would have been too much for me. And then I just wanted to make sure that they kind of had a mm -hmm. curriculum or a major that I was interested that I can kind of, kind of work with. So no matter where I end up in the working field that my, I can use my degree and have it kind of work mm -hmm. for me. So, um, and Northwestern, and it wasn't too far from home. It wasn't too close, like just stuff like that. And mm -hmm. Northwestern, it just ended up being it. It's in Evanston. It's about 30 minutes outside of Chicago. I love Chicago. Um, I majored in learning and organizational change. With that, it's pretty much business, but it mixes in different social and learning sciences. And a lot of people go into consulting, marketing, advertising. So I just feel like that major was perfect for me. You can cover in a lot of different fields. And um, it was in the Big Ten. It was a good conference. So I was like, okay, um, this is it. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. And a great school, a great reputation for academics. I mean, you have that Northwestern degree. Um, and that says a lot. So, and a student athlete. So would you have any advice to the younger generation? I mean, you mentioned a couple of things, like you were narrowing it down. Do you want a city? Do you want to be outside of the city? You know, mm -hmm. academics, do they have your major? Do they not? Mm -hmm. um, the conference that you're in, how close are you to home? I mean, those are questions that each athlete needs to ask themselves. Yes. And sometimes people focus 
too much on one thing and they don't think about another. Um, right. Because not everybody has a lovely college experience. And some of us, I mean, myself, I had maybe half and half, you know, part of it was really hard. Part of it was great. I don't know. Any advice that you would give to the younger generation? Um, I would first off, especially if you are, you know, going to be a student athlete. I know the big schools and the shiny (laughs) bright lights can be so, you know, enticing and you want to go to the school with a big name. But I think it's really important to understand who you are and what you need. Because yes, it can be very easy um, and sounds great to go to Stanford, but is Stanford the right fit for you? Because a lot of people try to go to these schools and then they're upset with, okay, I'm not playing. There's a lack of playing time. I don't like the school. I don't like this. Really understand what you need, what you're looking for, and find a school that fits that. Even if it's a smaller name, even if you've never heard of it, do your research. Just don't go somewhere because everyone says it's great. It has to be great for you. It has to be a good fit for you. Right. Because you're going to spend at least four years there. You know? Yeah. You, you're living your life. No one else <laughs> is living it. So you have to go through it. Exactly. And you only get to go through college once and you want to enjoy it. Um, yep. Well, that's what it's all about. Yeah. So, so at the end of your four years, um, you were there for four, right? Yes. Okay. The WNBA draft comes around. Um, I don't really know much about this draft world, so I don't know how it works, but in your situation, I'm assuming you knew that you were going to be drafted, but do they tell you, is it just like a a feeling you have? I mean, did you think you were going to be drafted fifth? Did you have something else in mind? How did all that work? I didn't really have an understanding of it either. Um, my senior year, Christy Sides was our assistant coach and she coached with Pokey Chapman for the Chicago Sky for a while. So I was like in awe, I'm like, how did you end up at Northwestern? But I was loving it. So I was really relying on her for her insight of how everything was working. Um, But in my experience, I pretty much was going based on what other people were saying, which, you know, hit or miss. (laughs) But everyone was saying, oh, you're gonna be drafted. So I'm like, okay, that's all I got. And then um, I got a few, phone calls from coaches, kind of like an interview process. Um, I think I talked to, I talked to Chicago, San Antonio, Connecticut. I'm forgetting some, but anyway, so I was talking to these coaches and that was pretty much it. And then I got invited to go to the draft. I personally didn't want to go. Um, (laughs) Just because I didn't, I didn't know. Anyway, I just, I just, (laughs) I didn't feel comfortable and confident enough. Um, but I didn't want to go, but of course my parents were like, if you're invited, you have to go. So I went, I took my best friend with me. And then from there, I, you just, you don't know, you're just sitting and wait. And when I was drafted fifth, <laughs> to be honest, I was so surprised. I had no idea. Um, and I was just so grateful and honored just because it's such a big deal. And, um, I just never thought I would end up there. So that's kind of, how oh, that happens. <laughs> you you are too funny and you're so humble. I love it. Um, I mean, you see the pictures on the internet and you see it on TV and everybody is all, it looks so glamorous, you know? I'm sure it's very nerve wracking for a lot of yeah. people. And because I'm assuming they invite you to the draft, but everybody that they invite probably doesn't get drafted. That is the thing. That is the part. So based on what everyone is saying, based on like what these coaches are interested in and who they're talking to, 
they and based on like college favorites and how well they do in college, they invite you there. But that does not mean you're getting drafted first, second, or third round. And there are a couple people my year that didn't get drafted till the third round. And it's just, it's, it's shocking. It's like, it's uncomfortable. It's, it's nerve wracking. And, um, but that's part of when you go pro, that's part of it. And like, it hits you right in the face and you just have to be ready to take it or not. So um, it's just the uncertainty of it all. That's kind of nerve wracking. When you are at the draft, do they do your makeup and your hair or do you have to come all prepared? Yes, they do all that for you. Okay, interesting. Well, that's nice. You see, I would go just for that, just for the being all dolled <laughs> <get> up. <laughs> because I'm not the type of person to get myself all schnazzy on, the, you know. So if somebody else will do it for me, sorry. Right, there you go. There. <laughs> um, okay, so you get drafted uh, to San Antonio, but then yeah. did they change to Las Vegas Aces, or how did that? So, so I got drafted to San Antonio, played there for a year. Okay. And then in the off season, uh, they told us that the MGM uh, casino, whatever, was going to buy the team and we were moving to Las Vegas. Wow. So then that, yeah, it happened in the off season. And that was, um, it was a very interesting experience. Um, I love San Antonio, I love the San Antonio stars, but it was one of the lower teams, you know, management and stuff. So the, the experience was very different from what I heard. I didn't know any better. It was my first year. So I was just living large. Like I was loving it. <laughs> and then going from the San Antonio stars to Las Vegas aces, it was a complete 180. Hmm. It was, it was a complete 180. I mean, obviously they had more resources. They had a vision. It was their first basketball team in the city. They were excited for it. So they put a lot of um, money into it. They put a lot of just effort and marketing into it. So it was a completely different feeling. And um, it was such a huge change. I felt like a completely different team. It really did. What was it like living in Las Vegas? I mean, I'm assuming you weren't living on the strip, but like, no, where... we were. oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Like, what is yeah. it like living there? Because people go there. I was there for a bachelorette party for two or three days, but then you go right. What's it like to live there? Yes. So a lot of the players, um, I want to say a couple people had houses, but a lot of the players, we lived in the MGM signature. So it's, it's like a, it's like a condo almost, but it's like, you're in a hotel still. Uh. You have a little kitchen, you have two bedrooms, two bathrooms. Like, so it's, you have a living room. So it's like a small condo. Um, for me, I don't really get distracted by the flashing lights, by the casinos, by all that stuff, by going out all the time. So that didn't bother me as much. Um, but I know, I mean, you can literally go anywhere whenever you want 24 right. seven. So if you wanted to go to a club, if you want to go to a party, if you want to go to a show or a restaurant or whatever, you could. But after a while, I got kind of annoyed with it just because every weekend it was just people just to party every weekend and leave party every weekend and leave. So you would be surrounded by all these people who are just celebrating for a weekend, not really caring about their behavior, what they're doing in Vegas for the weekend and then just leaving. But it's like a repeated reel every weekend. So right. that part was a little bit annoying, but other than that, like it's interesting to live in Vegas for a summer. So there's always something to do. Would you do your grocery shopping? Like you had a grocery store nearby? Like Yeah, so um like on the strip, like there's not really 
very many grocery stores where you would want to find your groceries, like really good produce and that stuff. Right. So I would drive like 10, 15 minutes to like a Whole Foods or like, okay. I don't know what's out there, like a Sprouts or something. Yeah. So. And yeah. the temperature, because every time I've, I played one, <laughs> I played one summer AAU tournament in Vegas. And I just remember walking outside of the gym and just feeling like this yes. burst of just hot, dry air. <laughs> I mean, I love the heat. Really? I really do. Which but is when you I live in that Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But when I first got there for training camp, they were like, Mia, you are severely dehydrated. So I was like, oh, okay, I need to work on this. So they're like, you need to drink this amount of PD light, you need to drink this amount of water. You constantly need to be drinking because we had two days for training camp. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're like, you need to hydrate, you need to stretch, you need to do this, blah, blah, blah. So it was that's when I really had to focus on like, look. If I'm gonna be a basketball player, I have the right have the right nutrition. I was like, drinking water is my job right now. <laughs> so I just remember chugging water and Pedialyte just to like get acclimated with the weather. But after two, three weeks, you kind of get used to it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. So you were in Las Vegas, and now you are with Mer- the Phoenix Mercury. Yes. So I've been all over. <laughs> well, San Antonio, Las Vegas. Phoenix. Mm-hmm. I'm not missing anything, am I? After Vegas, Atlanta, and then to Atlanta. Vegas. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're good. Okay. So you've had a chance to see different teams, see different players. I'm curious yeah. if you are, if there are any little things that you've picked up from the best. We watch TV. We see Diana Taras, Brittany Griner, or yeah, Brittany Griner. I'll say Renee Montgomery, Tiffany okay. Hayes. she's playing in the Spanish league right now. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yes. Very, very good. Very fast. uh, So I'm curious, um, like what have you picked up from these players, whether it's on the floor or off the floor, because I've heard that a lot of WNBA players are going vegan. Yes. Uh, they are. I tried to go vegan for a little bit, but not, not on, not on my accord, but I feel like a lot of players are going vegan, but or they try, but the biggest thing with going to going vegan is understanding what you need and preparing that food constantly and eating enough to get the nutrients that you need. Mm-hmm. Um, when I try to go vegan, um, I, I shortly, I couldn't maintain it because I already have to eat so much. I had to like double that when I was a vegan. So I was like, this isn't sustainable for me. <laughs> But a lot of those players, I feel like they, um, they first had a point in their life where they're like, we are going to try this probably like in an off season or where like, we're not playing. So, you know, if something's not going right, I'm not my, you know, my plays and being affected. But once they kind of like figured out what their body needed, um, how to perfect that, even consulting like with chefs or having a personal chef or getting meal plans, all that stuff. That's when I have noticed majority of players have started to stick with it when they figure out what works for them. Mm-hmm. But people who just try to try it on a whim, it doesn't, it, you know, they can't sustain it. So it doesn't, right. it doesn't work. Um, but I will say one, one thing that really stands out to me is um, playing with Diana Tarazi. I only played with her for one season and we were in the bubble. So I'm, I really wish I could have had a chance to see what it would be like in like a kind of a normal environment. But just seeing, just witnessing the way she sees the game, understands the game and her IQ, I have literally, I've, I've never seen anything like it. Like it could be such a simple fix, but no one thought about that except for her. So I'm like, (laughs) 
that literally just has to come with experience, with being in high pressure situations where you have to think on the fly, all that stuff. Because I can't really remember the situation, but we were trying to do something as a team offensively and we just couldn't get it done. And she was like, just do this. I was like, yeah, let's do that. Like, it was so <laughs> simple. <laughs> like, why didn't anyone else think of this? I'm like, wow, we're, it, she, as especially right now, she was like, there's no reason to fight to get somewhere, outthink someone. Just use your IQ to get what you want instead of trying to fight and try to be physical. That's tiring. That's, that's not working smarter. It's working harder. So, right. Yeah. yeah, that's very interesting. And I think that sometimes Americans, when we go overseas, sometimes I think they have that stereotype of us because we're usually like bigger and stronger and yes. we kind of bruise our way in there. Yes. The Europeans have more of this they might not look that big and strong, but they still get the job done. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And so, I mean, you know, Diana, she's Italian and she's uh, played many years overseas and she's, how old is she now? Almost. I want to say 38, 39. 38. I was going to say 30. I don't want to be wrong about that, but yeah. 38. Right. And so she's absolutely right. Like doing all the banging is exhausting. Yeah. Um, so just being smarter about it and trying yeah. to outsmart your opponent is is key. But I've heard a couple other players say that about her, that uh, her knowledge of the game and just the way she goes about it is like nothing they've ever seen. Yeah, I'm still kind of in shock. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. I love it. Okay, so then life outside of the U.S. You have played in several places now. I have them written down, but if you want to just give me the list, where did you go? Uh, where was your first job overseas? My first job overseas was Tel Aviv, Israel. Uh, second job was Adelaide, Australia. And then that, fin that season ended early. So then I went to Gdynia, Poland. Yep. And then last year I played for a couple months in Mersin, Turkey. And I, I left early because I had an injury. Okay. And then this year you're... Oh, this year. This year. So I was actually signed to BLMA in France and I had injury. So I, I had to hold off. So I believe I'll be going to France after. Okay. after. Um, so that's quite the variety of countries, uh, yes. different continents. What was your experience in Israel? Like yes. culture shocks? Um, mm -hmm. What did you really like about it? What I'm sure you had some stereotypes before you went over there. I just think about myself and all I really know is what I see in the news. Um, but for you to actually live there, was it what you expected? Well, so the reason why I went to Tel Aviv, Israel and played on the team that um, I played on was because my college teammate, Naf Kadim, she is Israeli. Oh. And I played on her team and we lived together. And oh. I was like, my rookie year, I want, I, you know, it's a big change. I was like, I want to go somewhere where, you know, I kind of have a connection somewhere. So I was like, no, here I come. Let's do this. <laughs> so she kind of walked me through everything. So it wasn't too much of a transition for me um but the i wouldn't say there was a huge culture shock just because tel aviv is very americanized like they have a lot of food that we eat in america they have you know they're they're open late a lot of people speak english you it just it wasn't very big of a culture shock i mean there were things but not terrible and then it also helped that the teams were all driving distance so there was no traveling. Like it was very easy on the lifestyle. A lot of people, like if you wanted to, there was a lot of clubs and a lot of partying. There's a lot of more Americans there too, studying and stuff like that. So 
it, it wasn't very big of a culture shock. Um, I feel like the biggest thing for me was just getting a grasp on the shekel because everything's in their currency. Just understanding like how much am I really spending <laughs> and keeping track of that. But other than that, um, I loved it. It was great. It was great weather year round. So it wasn't a winter. Um, I was able to bring my dog. It was, I loved it. Nice. And yeah. what about the Sabbath? Because they... Do they play oh, weekends? Yes. So no, we typically played, it would either be Monday, Thursday schedule or okay. Tuesday, Thursday, something like that. And yeah, so I, I might get this wrong. I think the Sabbath started like Friday night and it went all the way to Sunday morning. Uh-huh. Something like that. So a lot of places would be closed, but I mean, some grocery stores would be open. You could like, if you need something, you can find it because not everyone um, participates in that. But if anything, it was a day of rest very much. So, and like being a professional athlete, like, I feel like that was, you know, it was pretty good. Like we had that day off from practice just to like wind down, do what you need to do. And, and then Australia, you know, I've never been to Australia and my stereotypes are the accent, like everybody's saying, (laughs) good day, mate. And then (laughs) I'm yeah. thinking like the Great Barrier Reef and kangaroos, you know, yeah. those are like the three things that come to my mind. Granted, it's, it's an enormous uh, country. So mm-hmm. what, uh, when you got there, what, did it seem like that what it was? Like kangaroos everywhere, but I'm sure you were in a city. <laughs> yeah, I was in the city. There weren't kangaroos everywhere, but it was like if you would drive out the city a little bit, there were wild kangaroos and it was actually super cute. Um, But the biggest thing for me was the accents and like they have abbreviations for everything. So sometimes I had an easier time understanding people in Tel Aviv than I did in Australia because I didn't understand what they were saying because of the abbreviations, not necessarily their accents. So I'm like, what are, we're both speaking English, but what are you saying? Like, I didn't know what was happening. Anyway, there was a couple of times where it was really funny, um, but nothing serious. Like for afternoon they say, it's going to sound the same when I say it. They say like avo, like afternoon, avo, something like that. Okay. But then avocado, they also say pass the avo. So I'm like, one of my <laughs> coach, coaches was talking to me one time and he was like, oh, how's the avo? I was like, I didn't eat an avocado. Like, but he was like, no, how was your afternoon? I was like, oh, I feel like you made it. It was just stuff like that. Really silly. But, um, I love that league. It was so amazing. The I feel like a lot of people don't really understand how good that league is. The Australian players are super talented. And I just feel like since they're so far away from everything, people don't really see them if they're playing in the world games or the Olympics. But that league is amazing. They're really good down there. What's the name of the league? The WNBL. Okay. And this mm-hmm. takes place, obviously, during the winter. Yes. So I believe I got there September and we finished and we went to the finals. We finished in February. So it's a shorter. Which I'd say it's during the winter, but it's actually during their summer. Yes. Okay. It was, it was actually, when I got there in September, it was a little cold, but it got up to like 111. I loved it. You were loving it. (laughs) (laughs) You were loving it. Beach days. It was great. Yeah. Uh, Did you get a chance to travel around and see things at all? Or was it pretty much just business? You know what? I had all the time in the world to travel and I feel like I did not take advantage of it enough because there's so many places to go to. Um, but I was so focused on 
just personally trying to find myself and heal that I took more time to do that than to travel. But my, I lived with uh, Kayla Alexander. She's a Canadian basketball player. And she, every weekend, um, she would go on an adventure. Like one day she'll come to like, Mia, I drove a couple hours and I found a pink lake or I went on this hike or I, I went here, I went here. And she would have all these beautiful pictures and looking back on it now, I'm like, Mia, when you have the opportunity to travel, take advantage of it. Cause you know, you can never get this time back. So I'm yeah. definitely going to be more aware of that. Yeah, very true. But I was actually thinking about that today. And I mean, sometimes when you have two practices a day or whatnot, like I am so tired. I just come home and all I want is a nap because I want to be the best that I can be for the afternoon yeah. practice. And I want to be there mentally fresh and physically yeah. not tired at practice. And so some days I just, I need that nap. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know you know, it's, it's too bad because I feel like a lot of players maybe aren't able to, to enjoy what these countries have to offer yes. um, because there's so much pressure to perform. And if you're the American, you know, you're expected to do X, Y, and Z. Um, but at the same time, yes, you got to make, you got to find time for some of those things because the world is just too beautiful to pass up. Absolutely. And, you know, I, especially during my time playing in Australia, I felt those pressures because um, I wanted to make sure that I was improving and I wanted to make sure that every year I'm getting a bigger and better contract. So I was like, I know I need to perform. So I put so much pressure on myself that it became a job. And that's what you don't want. Like you never want to live life and be like, I have this job. No, we have the opportunity, the blessing to play basketball. I don't want to put too much pressure on myself where I can't even enjoy it anymore because then it's just, it's just work. Like I don't look forward to that. So I'm trying to be more intentional with just having fun and being appreciative of the time that we have playing this game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say that I've learned that from my Spanish teammates because they just seem so happy-go-lucky. Yes. You know? <laughs> like the other day we had a game and we were in Bilbao, which is a pretty city here in Spain. And we actually went for a walk that morning. And at the end of the walk, we had gone like five kilometers and it was game day. And I was like, is this a, a good thing or a bad thing that we're doing right here? <laughs> but people were like, oh, we'll be fine, whatever. And we ended up playing really good uh, that night. We were great. Uh, we did end up losing by three, but um, I don't think anybody was complaining about being tired or anything. And I'm so glad that we went on that walk as a team. But um, <laughs> so then uh, the other country, Turkey. I've never been to Turkey. Um, you weren't in Istanbul, but I'm sure you did visit there. What was that experience like? I will start by saying that I did not have a good experience. Okay. Um, and I didn't really enjoy my time. However, I'm keeping perspective. I did not have really bad experience, according to other people. It was just... Yeah. Anyway, um, okay. <laughs> how real do you want me to get here? Because I had a terrible experience in Turkey. Oh, well, I don't it know. It was like it's up to you. Whatever you want to share. If you don't want to share, you I because I really like. I'm all for helping people and being honest, but I don't want to like bag like just talk so negatively. It's just I had a terrible experience in Turkey. I had a corrupt coach, mm -hmm. like corrupt DM. A lot of lying, cheating, gambling, like all of the works was happening. I have nothing positive to say. Um, yeah. I almost think it was a blessing that I twisted my ankle because I needed to get out of there. 
So I, can, I have I can, nothing positive to say. Yeah, I can under I can understand that a little bit. I actually haven't had any of those experiences, but I've talked to friends of mine who have had these experiences in other clubs, and um, it's a different world. It's like they don't play by the normal rules. No, and um, I think I was very spoiled based off of some of my experiences in the past because. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. I mean, I knew it, it existed and it was there, but it, it didn't happen to me. And I didn't really understand the extent it was, sure. but it is not something that I would ever want to be part of again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think sometimes younger players as well, um, you have to kind of, when you think about where you want to go play, you have to weigh the balance, like the checks and balances, like do you want a good quality of life? What kind of city do you want? Temperature, you know, depending on your salary, is it worth it? Like, do you want to go to Siberia, Russia for a year, but have a horrible life outside of basketball and be all alone and be cold every day, but you're making X amount of money, you know, Turkey. I mean, there are some shadier places and maybe not all teams are like that, but some things to think about, you know? (laughs) Um, well, I'll be curious to know what your experience in France is like, because I'm sure I've heard good things about France. Um, I've only ever been to Paris on vacation, but uh, I had a great time. So hopefully that's in the cards for you. Yes, I, I'm really excited. I hope that um, pans out. So we'll see. Yep. Yes. After playing, let's see, are you in your fourth or fifth year? Fourth. Fourth. Fourth, yep. So how would you say that um, playing overseas is contributing to your growth as Mm -hmm. a human being, whether Mm -hmm. it's changing you in positive ways? um... That is a good question. Overseas, I feel like I have the space and the opportunity to kind of slow down because I I almost feel like I kind of live like two lives, the lives that I, the life I live in America and the life I live overseas. And I'm very intentional of trying to make sure that no matter if I'm growing just even a little bit, that I'm moving in the right direction. So I don't know why I do this. I just kind of do. I just feel like maybe I have more free time, more alone time. Um, But I really like to focus on self-development and I really like to analyze like, okay, my past year, am I a better person? Am I a better sister, daughter, friend? Am I a better basketball player? How am I growing with my relationship in Christ? What are the, what are the things that held me back that were distractions that I need to now put better routines together so that I'm moving forward in my purpose? I'm moving forward as a better person. I'm moving forward so that I can help other people along the way. So I really love my time overseas because if I get to go to practice, I get to go to work, I get to play. And then when I come home, I just get to work on myself for, for my own betterment so that when I come back home, <laughs> I can try to be a light and reflection to my friends, to my family. I can try to help them. I can try to, I don't know, just try to support people as much as I can. I don't know why I do that. It just kind of is how it's been going these last four years, but I really like to focus on how I can improve in every area of my life. I love that. Yeah. Um, No, I think that's great. And I think that's a great use of your time because as professional athletes, uh, we do have maybe more time than the normal person because we're not at a nine to five job. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there, 
there are a lot of downtime moments and um, I appreciate that you shared that and that um, you're taking the time to do that because really for me, I think about it, it's a luxury to be able to dedicate time Absolutely. to that stuff because in the day-to-day -day life of a lot of people, they don't have time to think about much else besides work, taking right. care of their family, maybe getting a workout in, maybe, mm -hmm. you know, doing the grocery shopping, whatever else. So good for you, Nia. That's great. Mm -hmm. um, would you say that you read a lot of books then? You know what? <laughs> if you would have asked me that question four or five years ago, I'm like, no, books aren't for me. I love reading now. I never would have thought a million years that I love reading, but I do. Like if I, I'm more into like self-help self-help books, uh -huh. um, books that I can like immediately kind of apply to my life that will just bring me, you know, knowledge and stuff. I'm not really into fiction. Um, I think I'll get there, but yeah, I, I, I love reading. Okay. Well, talking about books, this podcast is called Another Season in the Books, which mm -hmm. we didn't really talk too much about your college experience. Um, so I do want to ask you, because uh, I was at Hopkins this past, last winter, and we had a little talk about just college in general and um, how to organize your time. And um, how was that experience for you, that adaptation in college, as far as like having a lot of practice hours and then at the same time having to do well in the classroom, make sure you had a certain GPA, stay eligible to play? Um, was that a big jump for you, did you feel like? That was a huge jump for me. Um, and in every area, <laughs> in every area. <laughs> but especially basketball, because we thought we did so much at Hopkins when in actuality, we really, we didn't. It might've been more than what we expected or in high school, but in college, we do way more than that. Yeah. And um, getting up, n not even getting up for 6 a.m., getting up at like 5.30 to get to a 6 a.m. practice was so difficult. I never thought I would have to do that, especially in the winter and then having to go to class afterwards and go back to practice and eat and then sleep and do homework. It was so much. But the biggest thing for me that I like kind of struggled with was I didn't really study in high school. I mean, like I just, I didn't have to as much. I don't, I don't know. I just, I got good to decent grades. So I was like, I'm fine. Anyway, going to Northwestern, not the case. I had to, <laughs> I, quickly realized that I'm going to have to study, of course. But then I also realized I didn't know how to study in a way that best suited me. So I had to learn how to study for me. I had to learn how to put a routine together. I had to learn how long I can study, like what breaks I needed. I needed to learn time management, all of those different things. So it was it was a very interesting jump for me. And you know what, I'm going to be honest, it, it took me a couple years to get that down. But once I got that routine, I was golden, but a lot of trial and error. Um, and you know what, I'm kind of, I'm looking back at it. I'm really happy that that happened to me because I understand that there will be transitions and there will be a lot of things that will require trial and error and not to get so down on yourself when you're not doing so well, give yourself patience and grace. But freshman year was not a walk in the park in the classroom. Um, but once I got there, I was good. Once I got to a point where I knew where I, what I wanted to study and um, I was excited about it, like school became fun and I enjoyed it. It wasn't so much pressure and anxiety that I felt my freshman year. So once I got in my rhythm, I was good, but I yeah. just had to get there. <laughs> I like what you just said. Um, if you can repeat that again, what was it? 
patience and grace? Yes. I, I don't know if it's because when we played basketball or I don't know, just, I, I guess since we were basketball players, we have this mentality. If I work hard, if I do this, if I like do consistently, I'm going to get this result. And honestly, sometimes that is not the case. And that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned in life. But, and I just remember when I was younger, things came so easily to me. I didn't really have to practice. I didn't really have to spend a lot of time doing certain things. So when that wasn't happening at Northwestern, I was like, oh my gosh, what is happening? Mm -hmm. It was new. So then I realized, well, after the fact, but when you are starting something new, it is okay to be a beginner. It is okay to fail. It is okay to, to try things and have it not work out because then you're one step closer to finding, you know, how it works and giving yourself patience, giving yourself grace to be in that season where you're transitioning, you're trying to figure stuff out and being open to the experience itself and not being so hard on yourself because then you're just adding another layer of pressure that is not needed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Would you say that the jump from college to the WNBA was like another 180 for you, just as for a learning curve? And I don't know, game the game was just faster, more physical. People had better basketball IQs. A hundred and ten percent. Because, like I said, you think I would learn my lesson going to Northwestern, but I did not. Um, so, when I think back on my Northwestern career. I feel like I was bigger, faster, and stronger than a lot of the players. So I didn't have to use my IQ. I didn't. I could just out-physical them. And I found success doing that. So I thought, okay, this is the way to go, which in actuality, there's not, there's no longevity in that. And I <laughs> learned that very quickly. Right. So when I got to the WNBA, well, first of all, I played a four, a, like a stretch four in college. I am entirely too small to be a four in the WNBA. But since I was a rookie, they kind of kept me in that position. So I could not out physical or out run or out jump. I mean, I could, but a lot of those women were so athletic, stronger, smarter, they use their IQ, their experience. I had no chance in this world. I was entirely too unskilled. I was very, I was smaller than I am now. Like it, it was just not a good experience. And it was, <laughs> it was shocking. <laughs> and, and I was like, wow, this is a whole different league. I've never experienced anything like it. So thinking about my rookie year, I think I was just, like scrambling the entire time because I didn't really know what to do, where to go. You were very much, this was just my experience. I was very much on my own with a lot of that stuff. So I was just trying to figure out like what the heck to do. So I didn't really know how to process my rookie year. Um, so then that's when I went to Israel. I was like, you know, I need to slow down. I need, I need to figure out what's going on, what I need to do and kind of go from there. So and every year is different. Um, I've had a very interesting journey in the WNBA and it's been very challenging. It has not been peaches and cream, but I'm very thankful for it because every summer I'm learning something about myself and as uncomfortable as it is, and I wish like I didn't have to go through it, I feel like I'm getting better. 
mm-hmm. um, even outside of basketball is making me better. And I'm having an understanding of, okay, what are really my goals? What truly do I want? And what do I really want to put my effort into and my passion into pursuing? Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was a long answer to you. No, I love it. I love hearing all of this. And I'm also curious to know, you play the WNBC, WNBA season, and then directly you're going into the overseas season. Me, myself, I've never played in a WNBA season. I get to play my overseas season from September to March or April, and then I get the summer to rest. And I, I cross train, I bike, I swim, you know, I take a break on all the impact, but so many WNBA players do both. And mm-hmm. I just wonder, what's that like, like mentally, emotionally, um, physically, you know, you don't see yeah. your family as much, that's for sure. So the not seeing family part and like being on the go 24-7, that part was easy for me to kind of continue with just because I was used to that for so long. The part that I'm still adjusting to is the fatigue and not just physically, um, but mentally and emotionally. I'm like, I, I was like, when, when is there a break? Cause usually after I finish one season, I have like five days, seven days to get to the next. So I'm like, I'm starting to understand that rest is not just like, Oh, sometimes optional. Like, no, it's a must. <laughs> and I'm not like, for me, what are those cliches? Like no days off. I, hundred percent agree with, disagree with that. Disagree with that. You have to rest. That's part of the process. That's part of your ways, like of your body. When you break it down, it can come back together so that you can continue to perform. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm having more of an understanding of, um, the importance of rest and it, I mean, it's hard, it's difficult. And I feel like a lot of the WMA players who do it, like they are obsessed with basketball. They love basketball. They breathe, eat basketball, all that stuff. And I feel like that's how they're able to do it for so long. And um, yeah, for me, I'm trying, I'm actually thinking like, okay, what do I need? What is best for my body? Again, same thing with kind of finding the right school. Like what is, what lifestyle fits me best and what lifestyle can I flourish in? What is, what's good for my life? So I'm kind of in that stage now, but like, it's, it's very tough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So going back to another season in the books, uh, mm-hmm. you talked about your college experience, academics and athletics. Now that you're a professional, you still have plenty more years, I think, to play if you want to. Um, mm-hmm. You said you're in your fourth season. I'm in my 13th season. So, you know, you still have quite a few years if you would like to. Um, but is there anything in the back of your mind, like, um, any classes that you'd want to take or courses or something that maybe you would like to do in the future that has been on the back burner. Um, you said you maybe would get into consulting or advertising or something in that realm, but, um, is that going around in your head at all or not yet? No, it is. Especially in this last year, I have started to realize that, you know, like I want something like, yes, I'm putting a lot of my energy into basketball because I want to be the best I can be. But at the same time, like, you know, I want something else outside of basketball that I can focus on and that I can put my energy to. And I'm really starting to uh, become interested in real estate and I'm doing more research into that and how I can be a part of that, especially with my lifestyle. So I'm really trying to dive deep into real estate right now. Um, and I said this <laughs> after I graduated from college, I'm like, I'm never going back to school. 
of course, I was so young and naive. I didn't know what I was saying. But now, like going back to school, it actually kind of sounds very intriguing to me and interesting. So I'm starting to see like, okay, how can I add that to my lifestyle now? How does that work? So I'm, I'm in the middle of researching and trying to find different opportunities that will help me reach those goals now. Mm-hmm. Your team's overseas. I'm assuming you have teammates that are in school and playing at the same time. Yes. Um, especially my rookie year, because a lot of the girls who have gotten drafted, they were still in school. Mm-hmm. I, I have no idea how they did that. I'm, I tried really hard and I did to graduate early because I don't know how people do that, but a lot of them are able to do online courses. Mm-hmm. And even with like the time change, I think they work out, uh, like a certain thing with the professor where the timing, like w- the way they like send in their assignments and have their project and the papers in, it's like a timing that works best for them in their country. So they figure something out. So I think it's like a kind of a personalized curriculum, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. So I personally don't really know how it works. I just kind of see what some of my teammates have done and like heard their stories, but um, they are definitely able to do in that and they're being successful with it. Yeah. I just think about my teammates here in Spain and I have a lot of teammates who are 27, 28, 29, and they're still studying um, because their system over here is like, it's not connected, you know, sports and school aren't on the same page and your professors could care less if you have a test. game on the same day and you can't take the test um they're not about to let you take it early or another day so my teammates have had to take fewer classes every year and it just becomes this long process Mm -hmm. um but like you said going back to school sounds interesting to you and part of me looks at my teammates that are 29 and they're still in class they're probably getting a lot more out of it than what i was when i was 20 you know yes Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think, especially because we're in such a different place when you're 29 versus when you're in college, like you just have a different perspective and outlook on life and your class load is a lot smaller, smaller. So you're able to really take in and digest that information instead of having just overload of assignments. You're you're not really worried about, oh, what am I learning? Like, no, let's get this done. (laughs) Exactly. So I, I totally understand it. And I've had a couple of friends go to grad school and they're like, it's completely different from undergraduate because it's completely tailored to what you are interested in. Mm-hmm. And the classes are different. Like the people are different in your classes and it's just very, it's just a very different experience. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I think. It, well, good for be, you. Yeah. That's great. Um, all right. Getting towards the end, rapid fire. What's your Jersey number and why? It started off as, as 12 because that was what was given to me, but it went back to 10 because that was my college number. Okay. Good deal. Um, when you go overseas, is there anything you bring with you that you know, you're not going to be able to find over there? Any sort of food product or anything? No hair products, <laughs> hair products. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. I can, I can understand that. My teammates are constantly talking about where to get their hair done and you know what they're using and this and that. So when you're on the court, what is your go-to bread and butter move? Pull up jump shot. Pull up jump shot. Okay. Driving left or driving right? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Okay. Good deal. Um, and the holidays are coming up. Do you have a favorite holiday during throughout the year? My favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. Okay. And I actually had a chance to have a Thanksgiving that I'm used to from my childhood this year because I was actually home. So nice. Very nice. You know, I don't know when the last time was I was home for Thanksgiving. It might have been high school because in college we always had some sort of tournament. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then we didn't talk about this at all, but when you were growing up, did were you even aware of the WNBA? Did you watch it ever? No, I didn't. I wasn't aware of it. <laughs> that crazy? It, yeah, it was wild. But we didn't have smartphones. We didn't have Instagram giving us like these highlights of yeah, which yeah. is that we do now. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, I'm assuming then you were probably watching NBA games because of your dad or your brother or I don't know. We were we watch a lot of uh, UNC basketball. Tar Heels. My family was a huge Tar Heels fan back in the day, so we would always watch them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good deal. Well, Mia, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It was great catching up with you. I mean, it's been so long. Like, I just remember you as a little girl at basketball camp, <laughs> you know, like, honestly, and then I saw you grow up a little bit. And uh, when I could get back to Hopkins, you know, see you play. And I, I saw a picture of you online today, because I was looking at your Wikipedia page. And I'm like, man, that girl can jump. <laughs> My goodness. I want to say thank you so much for having me. It's, I absolutely love your podcast and um, it's just so great hearing people's stories because I mean, if you don't have the opportunity um, to really talk to people, this is a great platform to do it. So thank you for what you're doing. Yeah. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. So good luck uh, and best of luck in France. Yes. Same to you in Spain. Uh, In France, what would we say? Bonjour is good morning and goodbye. Au revoir. Au revoir, yes. Maybe? <laughs> yeah. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Well, best of luck, Mia. Thanks a lot. Thank you. There were so many great parts to this podcast episode. I was being completely serious in the introduction when I said Mia emanated maturity and wisdom. It's hard to choose a favorite line, but I loved when she talked about giving yourself patience and grace. We're all in a constant state of growth, change, and development, no matter what stage of life we're in or what our occupation. And if we want to improve or try new things, the most natural path is one of mistakes, corrections, and learning. We have to be nice to ourselves, and we can do that by being patient and giving ourselves grace. Like Nia said, Not everything is peaches and cream. All right, that's a wrap for this week's episode. If you enjoyed what you heard this week, please head on over to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, and feel free to leave us a comment, provide a suggestion, or whatever else you feel is necessary. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving last week. I'm your host, Leslie Knight, wishing you a safe and healthy week. Hasta luego.